Hello. This is episode 20 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dane. Your subconscious identity becomes your physical identity. What you think, you become. Align yourself with your end goals and solidify it in your subconscious with positivity and affirmation. If your goal is to lose weight or have a six-pack, but subconsciously you're always labeling yourself as fat, your identity will remain that of a fat person. You must align your inner identity with what you want. You want confidence? Affirm that you are a confident individual within yourself and your actions. You want success? The same goes. There is never failure, only lessons. Your inner identity is your life. That was the first piece that I read that really caught my eye to the content of today's guest. He's one of the first content creators I came across in my return to content creation on Instagram. He has a very eclectic background that shows in spades. He's grounded, silent, but sure. Strong in every regard possible in speech, in lesson, and in standing his ground with some people who are trying to compromise a good thing that we have going. He is a renowned strength and conditioning coach, a fantastic writer on masculinity, and he has some incredible steps planned next. His name is Flo Modis, and I'm very happy to have him on the show. Welcome, brother. It's great to be here, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on, man. We've been planning this for a while. Indeed, we have. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember it was about, it was, you know, it's about mid-December. It's always that mid-December area mm-hmm. that all of us have been talking about. When uh, I, I noticed what I really liked about your content is, and this is what's sort of evolving with masculine content. It's not just masculinity forward. It's not just the gym forward. It's not just pictures of bodybuilders being pushed forward. We're starting to see the inner philosophy. We're starting to see the inner workings of, of man. We're starting to see that this is, this is a war that needs to be won within before it can be won externally. And th- this, this is something that I've, I've known from a pretty heavy religious background. But to sort of see, see this being reflected on Instagram, I think you were probably the first guy I've seen. Uh, starting to write about this, which gave me a lot of hope. So, and I know that you came, you were originally more of this sort of traditional Instagram fit account and you just sort of completely shifted gears out of nowhere. So I, I'm really curious to hear how that process got rolling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you scroll back far enough, you'll see that, uh, you know, there's a, a pretty stark contrast between the original fitness account that I was, um, to the, uh, you know, the step that I took to become, well, I mean, we should probably just preface, I'm going to preface this by saying the content that I create now, it's a reminder to myself. So I, I see this Instagram account as a open journal, right? So it's, it's my, um, it's my reminder to myself on a daily basis. When I make a post, I'm writing to myself in my journal that just happens to be open to the public. So, um, if the information in there is, you know, if it helps somebody, great. But at the end of the day, it's always just going to be a reminder to myself. Um, so prior to making that change, I was, I was just going down the normal, you know, Instagram fitness influencer, nutrition, strength training, um, very 
average content that you see a lot of on Instagram. It's very easy to um, kind of, how do I, how do I say this? Um, you know, you just get lost in the masses, right? With the, with that kind of odd content. Um, I was putting good information out, but I wasn't, it wasn't packaged in a way that would um, be received it by, by the population. Right. So it would just get lost with, within the masses. So um, I've always considered myself a pretty philosophical person and creating the posts that I was prior to, um, you know, switching the script. I just felt like I was at odds with myself. I felt like I was doing something that maybe wasn't genuine. It was more geared towards um, building a following or more along those lines than, than, you know, sitting back and reflecting and being able to write something that is meaningful to me. Um, I was just kind of, you know, going with the, with the flow of Instagram, what I, what I thought people wanted to see, not what I wanted to write about. So, um, and quarantine, whatever with this, you know, with this whole, uh, I won't say it, but, um, pandemic (laughs) that we're (laughs) dealing with, uh, it gave me a lot of time to read, to reflect and a lot of time for introspection and to determine what I really wanted um, as far as um, content creation and, and how I wanted to feel when I was writing the post. So, yeah, that, make, that makes that makes a lot of sense because I, I went all the way back because I remember I, I heard from I think listening to you on the Evil Cast mm-hmm. that you were originally doing this very traditionally fitness like infographics. I went all the way back and it's like a lot of what you see on Instagram fitness. You know, it's like circa 2015 you know like mm-hmm. onward it's sort of like try this 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 and this and it just I, I i can i can see where you actually started to bring yourself into it it became this whole complete thought this whole complete projection of your inner being as the state in your post towards your content and it, it it sounds like to me that's when your content started being far better received am i correct in saying that or was it a bit more gradual absolutely yeah the, the more i put myself into the content that i was creating the more, the more I got out of it, um, whether that be with, you know, um, interactions or follows or shares or whatever. Um, the, and the less I cared about how it was received, the more, um, the more reception it got, which was funny. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's a really funny thing we have in the acting world. Like we'll, we'll sort of be like, all right, no, that was probably our best performance. Like, yeah. And then we'll, we'll get to the applause and it's, it's, a, it's a good applause. Like there's never like a, a bad, you know, just sort of like, one clap type thing, <laughs> um, but like some some performances that we just sort of like flowed through, and we just almost like we felt like we phoned it in. We didn't feel like we we're doing that much work. Like just get this thunders up. We're like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you never really know how things are going to be received. Like you can Absolutely. you can have some accuracy, but at the end of the day, it's it's it is an unknown variable, mm-hmm. for sure. And that's what I felt. The more work I had to put into a post, um, the less the less likely it was to be received well by, uh, by whatever the, the, the crowd that I was trying to reach. Um, the more I was able to just flow and, uh, just let things go a little bit more, the better it was received. Right. So, um, it it just, it was, a it took a lot of, (laughs) um, relaxing, 
right? I was so I was so just freaked out about putting content out that was going to be uh, received well and, and giving actionable advice that I just I, I, it just became robotic and it wasn't a good um, it wasn't a good way to brand myself. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you, you hear sort of the thought processes and you hear the processes of being across a bunch of different content creators and you see you see gradients in multiple directions. You see people who, they'll, they'll, uh, like for example, Joel brought, he, he'll get like a spark of inspiration. He'll like crank out like 15 posts or something like that. It's just very, it's, I joke with them being ethnically Spanish, but yeah, it's a you know, that Spanish fire, like that just thunderous inferno that comes out of nowhere and sparks this amazing creation, you know? Um, and then I know other content creators who plan accordingly and some content creators have, you know, Letters from the Ruins just has a, a all-time great piece of art on every single one of his posts. So I would imagine mm -hmm. that some of his posts come in the form of, I want to do something with this piece of art. And then Absolutely. The, the, the thought process reflects accordingly. Some people sure. have post schedules, some people don't. And it's really interesting to see the nexus of all these thought processes. Absolutely. You're, you're ultimately seeing all the ones that hit. I don't want to say hit like we're cranking out, you know, pop songs, right? But um, the, the ones that resonate with people are the ones that genuinely reflect the person within. So you have your grand strategist types and then you have your just, you know, fiery creative types. And as long as it's sort of within alignment, that's, it seems that it resonates with people because they, they feel that genuine nature. They feel that truth within, you know? I think that's where I began to find the disconnect um, between the traditional fitness account that I was trying to run and then this open platform journal that I began to discover and create. Um, I started to let go. Uh, I just, I, I allowed things to be as they may. Um, and I just wrote, I just, I, you know, what was on my mind, my ideas, my thought processes, I just threw those all down. Um, obviously I formatted it so it would be coherent because my thoughts can, <laughs> if I'm just throwing thoughts on the paper, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't look so pretty. So I had to format it to be co coherent, but, um, I just, I started to rid myself of those expectations and that's also, you know, the philosophical approach that I, that I take as well. And, and that is, you know, shoved down the throat so much. It's like, oh, you know, don't care what others think, right? Expectations of you, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Yeah, it's sort of navigating, like, and I, I think people struggle with this every single day. And I, I, I really came, I really came to understand this, not working, not being in the acting industry, but being in the bar industry of, because the, the acting industry, like if you, if you know actors, like a lot of them, they they like being a blank canvas. Like mm -hmm. they like not being one complete thought all the time because they're constantly in transition between characters. You'll see a complete thought on a stage, but outside in the regular lives, it's, it's like this very nebulous, almost um, just very flowing like way of being. It's really interesting. Whereas in, in, the, in the bar industry, I noticed people got really, really comfortable with ideas that they had of other people because you're seeing them at the same spot every day. You're, you're expecting the same reaction of them every single time. You're expecting to get the same benefit out of them each time, whether it's a laugh or whether it's a piece of wisdom or whether it's someone to confide in or whether it's someone who can 
you know, really get a crowd going and, and, and you know, make everyone nights, everyone's night better. You know, that real social type that, that gets everyone together to, to actually get out of their own skin. You know, it's that navigating that expectation of your, that other people have of yourself being very firm with like, no, like I'm, I'm something different today. Like I may be evolving one direction or I may be in a more pensive mood today. And this is what I'm going to put out. I'm not going to be, I'm I'd like a title of the creator the rapper talked about like he originally came out with some some tragic stuff and then he his life improved so he was a lot happier people complained about it. he's like this is literally just me expressing myself and I had an entire time you know yeah that I feel like that's the biggest um barrier for for individuals trying to remake themselves right the that resistance to change um not necessarily from themselves but from the from the groups that they surround themselves with right you you get a guy that's you know, known for being a pushover or known for no, having no boundaries and he begins to build boundaries. So his friends, the people that are taking advantage of that lack of boundary, right. They tell him, Oh, you, you've changed. Oh, you know, uh, you're, you're an asshole. You're a dick. Right. Because yeah. this guy, you know, he realized, Oh, maybe I should stop being a pushover. Maybe I should respect myself. More. Um, so it's that resistance to change that I feel impacts us the most right it, it just like the, it's 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 all based on expectation and that's what and and even even what is more the 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 attachment of to that expectation right this person again the pushovers known right lack of boundaries so his friends his family whoever he surrounds himself with they expect him to not have those boundaries they're attached to that lack of boundaries so when he decides to change that or put up the boundaries there's that resistance to change right um he's not the same person he was before, uh, you know, this and that. Yeah. The, you know, you, you grew comfortable with, you know, being able to put your feet up in someone else's sort of living room. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah that complacency, the, the, uh, externalization of responsibility. That's been a huge theme for me on my page is, you know, bearing the burden of your life. Um, accepting responsibility for your life and your actions and your circumstances because at the end of the day that's it's truly your responsibility right this we're so quick to victimize ourselves and externalize the responsibility for our lives because that's easy it's easy to be complacent and comfortable um knowing that your life isn't in your hands absolutely i mean it's it's sort of a sad state of affairs in this country. It's like people want things dictated to them. And you see the, you see the initial sort of, you know, virtues and cornerstones of this country that are being under attack and compromised through various sort of historical cherry picking right now that I won't fully get into. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, you, had, you had a general rule. I mean, like Vince, Vince Lombardi, you know, story, American football coach of the Green Bay Packers, you know, he, he came from Italian immigrants. And he talked, they asked him that famous question, is, is winning everything? It's like, no, winning isn't everything. Winning is the only thing. But then, you know, people people will cut off the quote off of that. But he says, America's, he goes on to say that America is a beautiful place because winning, like, striving and being responsible for being your best possible self is, is a virtue that's on the forefront here. And yeah, with that, there's going to be the people who chase that to the very end, the people who fall short in that. That's usually what you see in a reflection between winners and losers. If you look at the talent on the team that he had, it wasn't astronomical. But they, and you, you see this with 
the great sports dynasties, like whether that be the Patriots or uh, Manchester United had a pretty amazing run under Sir Alex Ferguson. They always get the, the final third of the match or the final third of the game or the season. They always did every last thing they could. And a lot of times really talented people or talented groups of people will rest on their laurels and then just diminish accordingly. Yeah, it's that decisive action that sets somebody apart. And it, 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 it can, like you said, right, it's not it's not all dependent on skill level at that point, although skill level is, you know, it's, that's definitely, that's never going to hurt, you know? yep. but it's the ability to, okay, well, this is the last game of the season. Well, it could be the last game of the season. Um, what, what's it going to hurt to leave everything out there? What's it going is is there is there any negative is there any negative aspect of giving it a hundred percent a hundred ten percent? Absolutely, probably not. Absolutely not. It's it's the difference between the go getters and and the people who who sit back and work for the go getters. It's yeah. that's the difference between you know the people that just go after it, right? The, the action takers and the, and the people that are so afraid of failure that they, they don't even take the action. Yeah, you know, that's like the failing. I wrote about this this past week, like failing miserably, like just, just throwing everything that you have and failing just horrifically is wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic because there's, there's, there's nothing left on the table. So it's like, you know, okay, everything I had at my disposal wasn't trained well enough or wasn't thought out well enough but there's no weird lingering sort of limbo question it's like well you know you probably could have done a little bit better if you gave a little bit more of this you probably done a little bit better if you would have read more on this like no you did everything that you thought you could everything that you that you had at your disposal and you still failed so now you can honestly reassess like this people living in this mediocrity sort of like in between it's just this droning purgatorial existence yeah um that's the thing you can fail and securely say within yourself, confidently say that, yeah, no, I failed because of me. I failed because there was some aspect of myself that was not up to the standard, right? And, and not everybody can say that. Most people can't say that. Most people can't take that vehement responsibility for their lives and their actions. It's always, it's always something else other than that. Uh, I failed, oh, because, you know, whatever it may be, right? It's, it's, there's always an excuse for their failure that doesn't revolve around them. It's, it just comes back to the lack of responsibility for their life. Absolutely. Where did you learn this agency? Like, did you learn this growing up? Did you pick this up through, like, a team sport or through your strength and conditioning background? Like, what, what was, what was the, the shaping of the man you are now? What, how, did that, how did that unfold? What did that look like? Oh man! Um, wow, where do I where do I begin? Begin where begin as early as you like. <laughs> you know, it, it's always been I've like I said I've always been philosophical. I've always had this. Um, I've never really seen things as seen things as black and white. So I've never been a mathematical uh, person. I actually despise math. Um, <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, about but you know, I I've always seen things in a gray area and, and, and enjoyed the process of theory and finding, um, and seeking. Um, 
my philosophy, at least agency, right? My, my autonomy stems from my research, my reading, um, and being surrounded by individuals that have done that themselves. Um, I, I'm blessed to say that I had a fantastic childhood growing up where I had everything that I could ever want in front of me at all times. And I think that's the biggest, um, the biggest aspect of my wanting to take vehement responsibility for my life is because I didn't have to growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and I'm deathly afraid of not taking responsibility and, and not seeing my potential ride what I know it can. So basically, so, and this is, I had this discussion with Joe abroad too, because Joe abroad almost like had this guilt complex about, you know, having, having, him and I wrote a piece together called the golden cage, right? He felt this complex of, you know, he felt like he was resting on his laurels. He felt he was, you know, he, he had, he had parents like yours who provided everything for him. Um, but you know he's he's pushed himself. He's writing books. He's writing uplifting content. He's helping others around him in his native Madrid. He's pushing himself in terms of charitable acts. He's not drinking. He's preparing for triathlons. Like he's doing all these amazing things. He's not. He, he's he's wrapping up becoming a lawyer. And he's only twenty two. Um, you know, you, you both of you are doing the opposite. Of what I mean, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was surrounded by rich, snot-nosed kids, and that's why, you know, why I told you right before our call. The reason I wasn't a quarterback in high school is I was getting in scraps with these types of kids. These types of kids who, <laughs> <laughs> these types of kids who, uh, who did wear the Gucci belt that mm-hmm. their parents bought them, who mm-hmm. did just, you know, spend their allowance money on weed and cocaine, who didn't do a goddamn thing, who didn't have any agency. Exactly. I, I've seen that entitlement. And it scares the living shit out of me. So what 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 makes you okay? So that, that that that's and this this is what this has had me has me wondering because if if you for listeners if you haven't uh, checked that episode fourteen with Joel Brock go check it out very enlightening dude. Um, but he had a speci- he had a specific event that really told him like he needed to be taking more agency and you know shaping up and completely rapidly improving his life. Was there an external event that you witnessed or something that happened to yourself that made you realize that you needed to fully reap the benefits and take agency with all the, I don't want to call them privileges because that's become this really fucking bizarre word these days. <laughs> um, but just all, all the fruits of, you know, having, you know, two really stable providing parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, there's, there hasn't been a specific event. I just, I feel the power of comfort. And I can see how it, you know, I, I, everybody's guilty of this, right? I, I, I have been complacent due to comfort and I don't want to be that way again. Um, I have all the comfort I could ask for. So I'm not seeking comfort. I want all the discomfort that I can find and I'm actively seeking discomfort. I'm actively seeking uh, voluntary inequality, right? I, I want to challenge myself as much as I can in any capacity that I possibly can. Just because I know what comfort can do and the lack of discipline, responsibility, um, self-control, you name it. I know, I know what happens 
when you allow that to take over. Uh, so my mission, my goal for myself is to consistently embrace that discomfort and find the growth that I know I can find within those realms. Yeah. You know, that's, that's just, that's, <laughs> that's a similar thing I had growing up because my, my, my father sort of scrounged his way out of Queens and became this incredible self-made man. Honestly. So his, his idea of a vacation, I was, I was joking with him. I wrote about this recently. I was saying that, uh, you know, he likes being on the beach <laughs> in the Caribbean, you know, relaxing. That's and then, funny. yeah, so, you know, Arthur, you know, you want to go to Miami and just sort of hang out? Like, no, I want to go. <laughs> I want to go do, do that a caribou hunting trip in the Arctic Circle you were talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I And, you know, don't get me wrong, downtime has its place, but I don't think I've earned that yet. That's, that's that that's really fascinating about it because you didn't have this sort of like this event where you didn't have this like epiphany you just sort of realize like hey you know I, i'm pretty set i pretty, got a lot of comfort a lot of downtime you're, you're, you're from orange county right yeah okay so, so would you say maybe that just being constantly surrounded by like beautiful sunshine and beautiful people everywhere and palm trees that may have contributed to be like all right something's missing here like and i need to push the boundaries if I have to, if I had to, if I have to absolutely give my philosophy and identity, it would be because of my mom. Um, I, she's, okay. oh, I, I don't even know how it's, it's, it's an ineffable thing, right? You, you hear workaholic, um, but it's, it's like a, it's a, it's almost a spiritual thing with her. Um, yeah, I, I constantly, uh, compare my work ethic to hers. Um, and I, and that gives me a reason to work harder because I know that in comparison, my work ethic won't stack up. Well, what does your mom do? If you don't want me asking, uh, she is a COO of a financial firm. Wow. See, okay. You know, this is, you, you and I have talked about this and this is going to be a bit roundabout what I'm saying. So I have a similar connection to my mother's work ethic. My mother is, my mother was a you know a, a strong wife, a phenomenal, strong-handed Sicilian mother, um, and she's an opera singer, and she's a singing teacher, and she was also went back to school and then wound up doing her masters. I won't say where, <laughs> because after the sake of it, I'm not ending. But he did her masters in vocal performance at a pretty prestigious university, so I didn't, I didn't get to see her for a while. Um, but. Yeah, it's and it, what's funny is within the sphere you have all these sort of tropes. You know, it's like, well, women need to go back to just be trad wives, mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily believe that wholeheartedly. I think like the, the a lot of the traditional roles do need to be restored, mm -hmm. but I think the reason why feminism was allowed to rise is because a lot of women were suffering in silence, and some women were were wired to have goals. They didn't want to sacrifice being a mother like your mother was to you, and my mother was to me, mm -hmm. but. They, they still had that itch that needed to be scratched and they weren't going to feel fulfilled otherwise. And it's not, not to do some, not to do with any kind of programming, you know, that people are saying. And I think that really is an internal thing. You've probably seen that in your mother and I've seen that in mine. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, one of, my, one of my hero couples, I grew up near a couple who was a Persian couple, devout Muslim, never drank, never drank, not once. Uh, this woman was, was in a similar sort of corporate position like your mother. And when she when she had kids, the first three four years, she was just a mother. And you know, right when they were, you know, they could be in in the watch of you know relatives and a babysitter. They were out of like the immediate toddler phase. She went back to work. Uh -huh. 
And I, I see nothing wrong with that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think you, you, you and I have had like uh, multiple conversations that like some of the tropes that people are sort of following religiously are a little misguided, honestly. Yeah, I let's go back to the you know the traditional gender rules. Uh, I I absolutely believe um, I believe in them, but I don't I don't necessarily want it to be enforced in the way that maybe this this sphere has began to enforce it. Um, there's you know there's power in a woman who has goals mm-hmm. um there's power in, in a, a driven woman the issue the issue with this is not necessarily a woman having goals right it's it's the issue within the lack of masculinity in in men in this you exactly. know in these coming generations even even in in our generation right this this weakness, um, this lack of masculinity is calling for stronger women to pick up the slack for these soft men. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, whatever you want to call that. So I, it's, you know, it's because a woman has goals and because a woman is powerful. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily call that, uh, a lack of traditional values. It's more, it's more along the lines of, uh, a lack of masculinity that these women have to pick up this lack for the men. So, um, but again, yeah. Uh, just being surrounded by that, you know, that feminine power, um, I think helped me develop masculinity. Yeah. A, a well-rounded masculinity, I should add. Yeah. Because there's, there's intelligence to it. You'll still see like guys who, you know, had like a strong, I had a strong father. I'm sure you had a strong father that they, they don't, they don't have like a little level of nuance. They don't have any precise. I, 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 I've been constantly pushing precision lately because I see such a lack of it, you know, precision of speech, precision of intention. Like I see a lot of maybe some people, not necessarily of our immediate sphere. I think our immediate sphere are all on the level, you know, like the guys, you and I consistently rub shoulders with, but maybe some other cats, but who I won't name obviously. And they're just pushing this like just broad brushstroke sort of like aspect of masculinity that like has that has holes in it and has zero tact. And it just you know it's you, you 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 could find a bunch of counters to it, which is is not what we need right now. Masculinity doesn't need counters. Masculinity needs bolstering. Exactly, exactly. And we, there can't we need you can't give people chains to yank on. And if there is a and usually when people yank on chains, like they're, they're fabricated. So if we're precise with our speech, we can just completely blow those out of, blow those out of the water. You know? yeah, and that's, that's what I spoke on yesterday with the conditioning that we're faced with as men, the masculinity that we give, that we're given the definition of now is not true masculinity. And you begin to, form our foundations on then that's that's taken as you know toxic masculinity masculinity as a whole is already we're already beginning at a deficit as men with masculinity absolutely we're conditioned to have a a distrust in our intuition which is at the very foundation of masculinity right masculinity is intuition it's an inherent it's an innate it's it's an innate sense that comes, you know, woven in our genes as men. So 
you have all these amb- ambiguous, ambiguous, confused men who can't take action, who can't, you know, it's just at the, at the, they're, it's like they're celibate from action because they don't know where to begin because they can't trust themselves. They can't trust that intuition that is, that is grounded in that traditional masculinity or whatever you want to call it. The true masculinity. True masculinity. Exactly. Right. True masculinity, not the, not the defined, um, adulterated version that, that we get as men coming into, um, you know, this, this new social norm, this cultural, whatever you, societal norm that we, that we are born into that for whatever reason, hates to see strong fathers, hates to see strong men, doesn't want a patriarchal, um, you know, uh, they, I just, I, I mean, I don't even, it's, it, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird spot to be in. It, it, it's, it's one giant strange mental illness, honestly. Truly. And the thing is like the further, they did a really good job at first. <laughs> when we say they, again, like I can't, <laughs> we keep dancing around like, like every podcast I have when I sort of talk about some of these shadow issues. It's like some some somewhere at some point someone says they, and people are like, "Who's they?" I'm like, right, yeah, we won't get into that. But you no. know, um, so, <laughs> I want I want to I want to just add one more point. And so to the to the you know the the, the strong father argument, right? Absolutely. Strong fathers or a strong masculine presence that's looked at that's looked at as a threat. So you know a strong patriarchal presence in a in a whatever a child's life or or in a in a relationship. Uh, that's looked at as a threat. That's looked at as um, toxic masculinity. So because that wins the future. Exactly. So so okay. So take away that strong, that strong father figure. What happens? Right. You 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 lose the masculinity. You you start. You begin to breed the weakness in in the you know the 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 young boy, and then that young boy further. Um, potentiates the toxic masculinity that these people are talking about all because of the lack of a, of a father figure, the lack of a strong patriarch um, that they didn't want in the first place. So it's, it's a vicious cycle and it, it, it's kind of a lose, lose to be a man. Well, I mean, it's a lose, lose if you are subscribed to the conditioning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, what's, What's really strange about this too is you'll you'll see they them um, <laughs> you'll you'll see them you'll see them chalk up some really you know just ac- statistic acrobatics like they'll chalk mm-hmm. up some statistics but go go take a look at the statistics of children without fathers mm-hmm. see what they're more prone to suicide Absolutely. mental illness yeah. crime uh, not finishing education. Um, Disorders within relationships. Exactly. You know, it's 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 really not rocket science figuring out why someone needs a, a father and a mother. And let's say someone's father and mother dies. Does that mean they're doomed? No, mm-hmm. absolutely not. I've seen some amazing single mothers. I mean, I'm from Oakland for fuck's sake. Like Marshawn Lynch was raised by a mother, by a single mother. Um, and I I've I've seen I've seen that dynamic, and I've I've seen the mother truly take the role of father and mother. And on the flip side, I've seen the father, you know have a daughter and really have to really have to to get 
to get creative quickly to sort of sure. fill in the void of, of being a mother because if you're a single parent, you are playing both roles. Like, don't think that you're not. Like, that is that is truly the case because the, the kid needs both. And you're either neglecting one or both roles or you're filling the gap accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the strong father figure is looked down upon. So when the strong father figure is not there and there's the, you know, the, the immediate patho psychology that, that stems from it, then it, it rolls back onto that father. Oh, why weren't you there for your son? Why weren't you there for your offspring? <clears throat> so, like I said, it's a you know you can't win in that situation. That's why you have to you have to unplug yourself. You have to decondition the belief that is um, just constantly jammed down our throats as men. Big time, big time. I mean, and it's in cir- circling back. Circling back. Um, <laughs> circling back to the um, to, to, to the bit about you know strong women, it's just like if you're strong. If you have a strong father, you're going to become a strong man. If you have a strong man, that allows strong women totally to be around. Because what what do you get when you have strong fathers raising the quote you know the soy like the the lack of strong fathers resulting in the soy boys nowadays. Well, you know what? A lot of these soy boys are genuinely attracted to these, you know, these strong, powerful women, mm-hmm. and they're getting all whiny that they're not that they're not compromising themselves with these weaker men. Mm-hmm. It's not rocket science. No, yeah. <laughs> it, again, the, the strong father. I mean, the the that's so imperative, right? Just not only is it a stepping stone, right? It, it, not only does it provide a path for a young man. Um, to see, you know, that's that's what I could be, right? It provides stepping stones. It provides uh, a moral compass. It provides, I mean, every single thing that a young man needs is is, you know, that it's the strong father figure. It's the patriarch. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know that that what's what's nice too is that doesn't always have to come with a father. No, a lot exactly. of times you'll see it with a coach. Yes, absolutely. Or, you know, maybe maybe I'll take away the, the word patriarch, right? Because, you know, that's a that's a buzzword right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, big time. Fuck, just a mentor, right? Yeah. Your, your father can be your mentor. Your coach can be your mentor. It just someone who has walked the walk, right? Someone who has the experience and the, the knowledge and the wisdom from that experience that they can impart on to you for you to apply to your life. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've had, you know, I've had coaches and writing teachers like impact my life. Like as if they were like a patriarch by village type thing. And then I had my actual dad at home. Mm -hmm. I was like, God, this isn't, this is an abundance. This is a blessing. Absolutely. You know, and and the the more, the more strong male figures you can surround yourself with, especially as a man, the better off you're going to be. That's when we're getting into the area of mathematics that you and I don't like very much. But when you're the average of, you know, let's let's say you're the average of the five people you spend most time with. And I think you can sort of, you can counter that by being conscious and being aware of what boundaries you need to set with these people. So you can, you you, you can prevent that from being, being the case. But let's say you just surround yourself with five mentors. Let's say, I mean, personally... You know, come from an acting background, come from a fighting background, come from a writing background, and then religious background, and then bartending background. I had, I had five of these, I had, five, I had all five of these mentors in my life at once, and my growth 
when I had all five of those mentors in my life at once, and those are the people who I was speaking with most, I, I, I crammed years of growth into months. Absolutely. And and let's 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 be clear too. A mentor doesn't have to be a person. A mentor can be an experience. A mentor can be the discomfort that you feel on a daily basis, right? The the alarm clock that wakes you up at four a.m. because you have to go to work because you have to survive. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not just although although you know you you, you want as and there's no limit to the amount of mentors that you have, right? You, your, your responsibility as a man is that of a leader, right? So you, and, and in order to lead and in order to lead effectively, you need the experience to do so, right? So I feel like the, the mentors that you do have in your life give you the ability to apply the information in order to give yourself that experience. Wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. I mean, the, I, I love that. So I, I was having, um, I was doing a coaching session um, with uh, with Primal Thrive. Shout out to Primal Thrive, and uh, yeah. you and I, were, you and I were discussing this before uh, before we started recording. And you know, we started injecting. Um, and for those for, for your listeners, um, Primal Thrive and I, um, him and I have developed a pretty good relationship. And we do monthly group coachings, uh, coaching and strength and conditioning on my end, and testosterone boosting and biohacking on yep. his end. So. It's um it's 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 been an enriching experience to say the least. Not just um, you know, not just in the partnership, but in um, in, you know, in getting to sort of share knowledge, and we've been injecting philosophy in it as well. And we talk about, and this this is something that I think you understand, and I think something that a lot of people in the sphere are beginning to understand is that the not only has manhood been stripped of wanting uh, stripped of being i don't even say being allowed because no one's really like truly restricting us from trusting our intuition but we've been sort of mind gamed distracted exactly we've been distracted and we've been told that we shouldn't be listening to our intuitions that's that's one aspect of man well you can you can go into materialism scientific materialism you can go into relativism there's there you know there there are plenty of plenty of modern thwarts to intuition but anyway continue i'm sorry oh no that, that's <laughs> that's an amazing point so i want to get to that as well especially relativism materialism because that's just giving off this weird i don't want to call it mental illness it's just like this weird complex of not knowing which way to go it's ambiguity right? it's yeah ambiguity. yeah it's, it's like the lost absolutely um yes but Another one of the things that, you know, besides testosterone, besides working out, that's the main thing we were doing in this group coaching. I started injecting some philosophy, and I started noticing that, like, we're being stripped of the narratives that aren't just narratives. Like, mm-hmm. life is narrative. These stories come from real life. Mm-hmm. Real life comes from story. You know, every man has a, is, is, can be on a hero's journey, and they'll, they'll have many if they're, if they're aware They'll be able to start many if they know how to start them, if they know how to transition. Absolutely. And one of the things that I was beginning to notice with the hero's journey bit in people's lives was there's always a why there there's always some kind of wise old man that emerges. Mm-hmm. If, if if you going back to your original piece, I, I loved I love that piece that I, that I read of yours at the very beginning. One of the favorite pieces I read on Instagram, short, sweet, but it ended the, the photo 
Uh, it's phenomenal. It has a shadow of a man with a demon, so you can tell that he's thinking about his demons, and the demons are taking shape in the external world. Mm-hmm. When you... On my on my 23rd birthday, actually, I, I watched a clip of Denzel Washington talking about... He was talking about the law of attraction. He says, you got to be very careful about what you think about. And I basically like, took an oath of, like, I'm going to go on an absolute tear, basically. I'm going to truly dedicate my life. At the time, it was... There are more things I've dedicated my life to since, but at the time it was just martial arts and orthodoxy. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I was in a four-year celibate period, and it was, it was an amazing time in my life. I feel truly blessed for it. And people started emerging. Wise old man emerged. The mentors emerged. And then I was asked a question, as you said. Is the wise old man always a figure? And I'm like, you know, it, it, it can, like you said, be a lesson. It can be... It can be an actual literal object mm-hmm. like you can um i mean the 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 one that i always sort of look back on is um is actually the howling void talked about this with the renaissance of men so that's why i was like i did the leonardo dicaprio sort of pointing me um, <laughs> 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 great <laughs> It cracked me up because, like, a lot of the stuff when I listened to uh, The Howling Boyd, I'm like, this guy sounds like it sounded really familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's he's got about I think five or six years on me, so that's he's going to be on this podcast. So I'm really excited to pick his brains. Um, but um, he talked about the green light in Gatsby. It's like he he focused on this icon, he focused on this image that was his wise old man, that was his anchor, that was his mentor guiding him. And the mentor didn't say a single word. The mentor wasn't a person. The wise old man wasn't a person. So it can be an experience. It can be an object. And this is a way of orienteering through your path. And, you know, if, if for, for those of you who are religious, like myself, you know, this has a lot to do with prayer. Um, but this also has a lot to do with meditation. This has a lot to do with alignment. Um, this, the, 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 for the, first, the first essay I wrote, for blood and rain books is on alignment and it's it's it really is something that you know i really appreciate about your content and you know a couple a couple other guys like you and i had this discussion in terms of the people who are you know externally very loud and that's who they are and we appreciate them for it and we want people to be who they are but you have this quiet confidence about you you have this alignment within you that you're understanding not only who you are in terms of what it is that you need to be doing to escape comfort, to make the, the most of the materials you've been given, make the most of the, the fruits that you've been given by your parents. Um, what content you need to be putting out, what, how you need to be shifting it more towards your philosophical side. Um, that alignment is going to be pretty key in understanding who the next, what the next step in the journey is, what the Absolutely. next step in the path is. What is that a wise old man? Is it a person? Is it an object? Like you, you have a very solid grasp of that, which I greatly appreciate. One hundred percent. Yeah, you have. It, it all goes back to the identification, right? What What do you consciously and subconsciously identify with? Are you? Do you identify with your intuition? Do you identify with with the messages that you're receiving, the downloads that you're receiving? Or are you still ignoring those? You know, it it, it really. I I just I, I I'd like to think there's there's clarity and simplicity, and I don't think there's one time 
in my life that I have chosen to listen to my intuition that it has given me convoluted information. It's only when you begin to add a value judgment to the intuition, right? For, or an expectation, or what if that does this to this, right? And so you bring attachment into it, that it starts to convolute the information, right? You have to, you have to be able to determine and discern between the distraction that is um, conditioning, social media, whatever it may be. And you have to understand the difference between what your intuition is telling you, the value judgments you have about your intuition, the expectations that you have and the certain attachments that you have. And I feel like that's, that creates a dangerous man. Big time. Big time. That second guessing yourself, that lack of faith. This is why faith is so important. Absolutely. Take a look at any communist takeover. Take a look at any, any dicta, uh, dictatorial takeover. What's, what do they get rid of first? Well, the first thing they get rid of is guns. They take away your right to defend yourself. What's the next thing they take over? They take over the fruit supply. Can't feed yourself. So we got the tangible items out of the way. What's the third thing they do? They ban religion. Why? Well, you can't be worshiping anything higher than yourself. The high, higher than the government, rather. You can't be listening to your intuition. You can't have that divinity guiding your path, giving you this intuition, creating a dangerous man. No. You need to listen to our override. You need to listen to our new grand strategy of what you are to us, our thoughts of you. The group think you need to subscribe to the group thought. Exactly. Exactly. And you're seeing that in the United States today and a lot of people think it can't happen here. It can happen Oh, it happens. And it's and it's happening on j- not just a, you know, a physical level that you can see, right? That's, you know, call it PSYOP, call it whatever you want to call it. It's happening. And whether you like it or not, you're being, I mean, they're, they're being conditioned. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the, the thing is, the, the caveat with this, though, is with a country like this that was so renegade, that was so that started with the virtues that are, are trying to be outlawed right now, but people aren't really buying it now, is the harder you press, the quicker you press, the, the quicker people are going to wake up. So they need uh-huh. to keep going down a gradual road. But now they're trying to accelerate and be, you, you see Democrats, you see ultra, we're getting really politically, I did not expect this, but um, <laughs> on Zenovio, I got really controversial with the origins of religion. Now I'm getting political and I really did not foresee, foresee this. Before. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're seeing like, I mean, I, I, again, I live in probably the most like super lefty borderline, not even borderline, like areas of which are truly communist, like mm-hmm. communist and socialist belief in the country, maybe in the world. Um, and I've seen people like this, like start to talk about these sorts of issues, like these, these bits of propaganda. I'm like, okay, well, this is getting interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So if these people are noticing it, that means like the people in the middle of the road and the people on the other side of the spectrum are certainly noticing it. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, there's, there's a lot of people have the question, is this, is this going to get violent? Are all these people who are becoming dangerous men again? Because people, 
and this this is why, like, you know, I, you and I have been asked the question before in various group chats and whatnot. Are some of these, you know, for lack of a better term, soy boys beyond help? I really don't believe that any of them are. Because everyone can get there eventually, and everyone, like, everyone has different triggers and different pathways mm-hmm. to seeing what is ultimately unshakable truth, right? And this, this is an unshakable truth that we are being programmed towards things that are anti-human, towards things that are, being, that are aiming down. Neutrality, ambiguity. So things that are easy to control. A, a, a man with a strong masculine foundation, strong masculine virtues, strong masculine principles, someone who, who follows his intuition, who listens to his gut, that's a danger, right? That's, that's, that's an extreme. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> people consider masculine men to be extremists, um, right? That's hard to control. You can't control a man with intention, with a purpose higher than himself. So that's what they do. That's, that's what exactly what they're trying against, right? They're introducing scientific mod- or, uh, uh, materialism. So, Show me the evidence. Well, okay. So right away, the first thing to be attacked is religion. Right? So, so there you go. You begin to take away religion. Okay. Now, with this, with this materialism, okay. So religion goes. Intuition goes. Because, oh, there's no, there's no you know, concrete evidence for my intuition being correct. And, and if religion doesn't exist and divinity doesn't exist then my intuition is just, it's just me talking to myself. Okay. So that's gone. So now you have an ambiguous neutral man or female or whatever you want to call it for whatever, right? That's easy to control. You get, you get full control and then you get the subscription to the, the group think that we were just talking about the mob mentality, because you have a neutral individual, it's easy to sway. Because he thinks that you're isolating a man from being from from fortifying. You're isolating a man from fortifying within himself with divinity. You're isolating men from other men uh-huh. with this programming. And now you're you're seeing literal physical isolation. Yeah. The boot. Yep. And, and you're and and it's all for the greater good. It's all for the health of your neighbor. It's all <laughs> it's all because it's all because oh he's doing it so I should do it, and 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 it's and in at the very foundation it's all due to a lack of critical thinking. Absolutely, you know what's what's funny is George Orwell talked about this in two books. He talked about I mean he 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 showed that the worst case scenario was 1984, and then he talked about the process in which this happened in Animal Farm, and that's why you start to see. I mean I've said it, you know, COVID 1984. Um, you know, you start to see things that are truly Orwellian, and now you start to see fact checks about things being Orwellian. You start to see yeah. newspaper articles saying, you know, calling it things Orwellian doesn't make it Orwellian. It's like, wow, yeah. the newspaper is oh, telling Snopes. us. Snopes said this. Snopes has been compromised since 2011. I know. I, <laughs> I, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. I believe that most of the information that we get on the internet is compromised. Absolutely, and and okay. What's what's funny is, <laughs> look at what mainstream media 
wants you to do. Man, okay, this, this is getting juicy. All right. Um, <laughs> look at what mainstream media wants you to do. Look at what mainstream media doesn't want you to do. Yeah. Look who mainstream media um, heralds and look who mainstream media blackballs. Yeah. So, fun fact for all you guys. Man, okay, we're, we're, we're fucking doing this. Fucking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so to take a look at... Uh, take a look at all the countries that didn't have a blank name owned centralized bank in 2000. You had Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Cuba, North Korea, Libya, Sudan. You know, I'm missing some, but the point is within the next 20 years after the year 2000, you saw various conflicts in these countries. You saw conflicts about weapons of mass destruction in one country that wound up not having weapons of mass destruction. Well, why are we still there? Oh, that's a great question. ISIS. Well, mm. interesting. Um, it's, you had uh, Umar Gaddafi actually give up all his weapons of mass destruction. He did have weapons of mass destruction. And he was starting to institute government programs to make more doctors and more lawyers and actually put the power on the people. And he and Saddam Hussein both were trying to have independent banking. Government. So all of a sudden... Um, they're public enemy number one for reasons that no one listening to this podcast can even remember what it was said in the news that the reasons they were public enemy number one. They can't. Uh, Osama bin Laden wasn't even found in Afghanistan. He was found in Pakistan. What the hell are still doing there? Um, and then all of a sudden, you had Russia come out of the woodwork of being suddenly the villain again. You know, it's like, it's, it's like 1980 again. Like, it's the Cold War. All of a sudden, Russia's Satan, and it's like, interesting, why? <laughs> and because apparently the first country to abolish their outsourced centralized bank, it's called that. Um, and they're a culture of people who have, they're, they're probably the culture that have been through the most. Not to, not to compare, like, the, not, not to make one giant grand who had it worse contest, but I mean, <laughs> famine, revolution, religious execution, genocide, like, they've just constant, horrifically long winters. Like, they've, they've kind of done it all, really. Um, scorched earth tactics of, you know, starving their own people in order to prevent Napoleon from successfully invading. Like, they've really hit all the marks. So, they have a, attending a Russian Orthodox church at Cathedral in San Francisco, like, I've beginning, began to rub shoulders with, with people of Russian culture, I began, um, when I started doing Muay Thai in England, I, most of my training partners were either Russian, Nigerian, or Pakistani. So I began to get this, like, this affinity for the culture. Like, there's this reverence, there's an artistry to it, and there's there's a, there's just an inherent toughness, like an inherent steadfast nature. So when you have a country that big, that united, you know, successfully rejecting and displacing as one you know, strong entity, a globalist, globalist outsourced bank, of course, in, in the corporatist news media, you're going to see an outlawing of that country, you're going to see a smiting of that country. Russia stole the election, and they find, you know, there's zero evidence of Russia stealing the election in 2016. So it's like, everything's been blamed on Russia, even even things calling out liberals benefiting from, um, for from black 
from from black voters and like the literal documentation of shifting their policies in order to get elected but then actually not falling through on anything has been listed as russian hacker bots on twitter it, it's it's just it's it's like when you take when you start to just take a step back and just objectively look at patterns like this is absolutely insane <laughs> and so you start you start to look at okay so that that's that's who the media vilifies or what else is the media, media in terms of action? What you're not supposed to do? You're not supposed to eat eggs. You're not supposed to. Uh, <laughs> meat's bad for you. Yeah, meat's really, really bad for you. Um, apparently, going to the gym. I saw this one the other day. Going to the gym will in- inherently make you a right wing asshole. Like just no matter what. Um, it's like you, you just you, you start to look at the media and you just literally do everything the opposite the media tells you to and yeah. you, you, you just see things the opposite way and some amazing patterns start to emerge mm-hmm. incredible mm-hmm. and then they call those patterns conspiracy theories which is yeah which is hilarious um, don't know how we got there but um, oh yeah and then, but then a big cornerstone of this a big cornerstone of this is the outlawing in masculinity yeah yeah um where do i even begin right i mean <laughs> uh, respond to a person that you that you would like to respond to i i just i mean we, we we're talking about this masculinity i just wrote a, a post on this yesterday right and it was oh man you know this I, 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 I prefaced it with saying strength is no longer praised. And, and it's true. I feel like I, if we really want to, if we really want to keep this political, (laughs) you see, um, you see our military, uh, how how do I, how do I, hmm. our military is no longer built towards, you know, optimizing war fighters. Right. Now we're, we're looking at how do we, how, how inclusive can we get? Right. Because we, you know, military men have, have historically been seen as what, you know, masculine or, you know, a, a strong, the military in this instance, at least as far as the media goes, um, it, it's it's akin to the patriarch. So now we're trying to feminize the, the patriarch, right? We're, we want we want it to be we don't want it to be strong because strength is that's scary. That might that might offend somebody. Um, so we're beginning to we're beginning to feminize the the very thing that 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 gave us the strength to begin with. Um, this this push for inclusion and um, acceptance is, I mean, it's it's interesting. Because it's a, I, it's it's almost like this push is seeking validation, right? So these weak men, these um, effeminate men, these feeble-minded, soft fucks, 
for lack of better term, are seeking validation from a father that maybe they didn't have in in looking or in pushing for this this mass acceptance and it it's i just i i it's very i don't i mean again i don't i don't know where to where to where to start on that i just feel like this it's a it's a big validation scheme you have to you have to wonder like how how you you have to you have to wonder behind closed doors how mechanized has warfare become yeah like so it's like is it we're at the point where maybe it doesn't matter that the warfighter mm-hmm. is compromised maybe i doubt it though absolutely yeah i <laughs> you can never have too many strong men yeah <laughs> like at the very foundation of life is strength right if you whether you subscribe to a certain theology or you subscribe to Darwinism, adaptation is a sign of strength. Evolution is a sign of strength, right? Whether you live or die is a sign of strength. So it seems to me that there is a de-evolution trending, right? Where (laughs) we are turning back we're, we're trying to de-evolve in, in favor of feebleness and frailty. Well, that's not going to do, that's not going to do us well in the coming generations. You can already see the impacts of it. You can see the impacts of the kids being raised with screens and the kids being raised with no rules and the kids being raised, they can, kids being raised that they're, they're being told that that can be whatever the hell they want to be beyond reality. Precisely. And here's the thing, you know, when you go, if you go to war with someone, the warriors of the other warrior class, you're like, oh, wait, okay, these guys are a bit more inclusive, so let's surrender. Like, no, like, it's not going to no. be the way it works. Yeah, oh, wow, they seem like very nice people. Uh, they, they included all genders and, and all sexual orientations into their military. Well, you know what? Let's be friends with them. They seem like nice people. No, they're going to take advantage of that. They're going to take yeah. advantage of the lack of strength. Their, their, their throats are going to be sliced in 0.6 seconds. Like, yeah. You, you think they're going to go back to their, their their commanding officer, or go back to the general, or go back to their, their political leader like, hey, we know we wanted you, you wanted us to invade this part of the world, but man, they're just so inclusive. Like, did, did, when you really boil it down to the, abs- the actual purpose of war, Huh. You were literally an easy doing, target. Yeah, you were doing the exact opposite. Yeah. Now, I was talking forced about this. In, inclusion has no place in war. No, you're either you're either a asset or a liability. Exactly, a war fighter. You're either built for it or you're not, and it's okay if you're not. And you you can become built for it. You can build exactly. yourself up to it. Like it's not the end of the world. It's not permanent. You know, but. But the, the, the preservation of strength will always reign supreme. Nature has only one bias, and that is of strength. Absolutely. And that's, that's the way it's been. And that's why, that's why you see people like taking the Midas Right book by Ragnar Redbeard and like 
saying that that's their Bible, and you know, it's like, okay, like, don't, don't, don't get so wrapped up in that, because, you know, the, the most the most misquoted Bible verse, like there's a mistranslation, you know, the, the meek will inherit the earth. That's actually not true. The, the direct translation is those who have swords and are determined to keep them sheathed will inherit the earth. Big difference. Big, big difference. Um, so might is right. Yeah. In terms of gaining dominion. Sure. Yeah, it is. Is it right on everything? Absolutely not. But even pe people people of moral nature and moral character and devout intention, it, this level of strength and an aptitude for combat needs to become everyone's thing again. And, and, and uh, honestly, honestly, I, I really don't see these standards in the military lasting another two months. Mm -mm. It's, it's not going to happen. Mm -mm. It's absolutely not going to happen. Um, and <laughs> someone out, somebody out in spoke like, "What do you mean, man? How can you say that? Like, what do you know?" I'm like, "Just you know, it's just fucking trust me." Okay? Um, this, 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 this won't keep going on for various reasons that are not of my own accord. That's for damn sure. That's not of any any of the listeners' accord. Like, there's some interesting things going on in the world, right? Now. I really did not expect to get this controversial. Um, <laughs> Neither did I. Um, yeah, I thought we were going to talk about just, just about like masculinity, maybe some strength and conditioning stuff. But you know, like this is this is getting deeper and deeper into the. <laughs> say, I was say, we can go, we can go deep and then and then start to work our way back out. Maybe, I, I hope so. Maybe we just keep going down the rabbit hole. I can see that happening too. Yeah, um, yeah we might be here. We might he, we might be here for the next week. Yeah, probably exactly. <laughs> yeah, here's a week long uh, podcast. Yeah, I didn't I, sleep I'm, one. Didn't sleep at all. Th th thank you so much, guys, for really sticking with it. I know it's tough. A year later, those of you who have finally finished it, uh, let us know what you think. You know, um, but yeah, I mean these 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 orchestrations, like th it's getting to the point where too many people are seeing like the legitimate like mental illness and like complete lack of logic. Not just with the military, mm -hmm. just with the just with there being seven hundred thousand genders. Mm -hmm. That's obviously not the case. Mm -hmm. um, just with there being. You, you and I can go into that ad nauseum. Um, I, I really do think, and not not just because of some great conjunction, you know, of all this content creation meeting. I think the great conjunction is far greater than any you know content creation accounts and us collaborating accordingly. I think that's helping with the culture war and consciousness war, which is even higher than the culture war. We are we are we are doing this work because of that. But I think that that, that great conjunction really was a cosmic event that. And therefore, a divine event because everything mm -hmm. cosmic being downstream from divinity, cosmic and conscious that it's it's shifting accordingly. You see things going in the other direction. Like if you turn on the news, and this is the other thing in terms of turning on the news, if you see them ramping up, it's like something that means they're nervous about something else. Mm -hmm. Like if you see like a constant panic about one thing, like every five fucking seconds, they're they're panicked about something, yep. about something else, not what they're reporting. And that's what you've been seeing nonstop. And that's why the press secretary doesn't know a goddamn thing about anything. Because she doesn't, she literally doesn't know what's going on. That's the, that's the issue with media is it, it personalizes all these issues. Like we can see something happen in Japan and, and now we're stressed and worried about it because it's personalized to us now because we saw it on the news, right? If we didn't have news, we wouldn't have 95% of the problems that we do have. Absolutely not. 
absolutely. One of the most bizarre things I ever saw was 2015 when Brexit was first announced. This is when people still used Facebook, you know? Um, and BuzzFeed was, like, unfortunately still relevant in the grand scheme of things. Um, you saw all these people, like, just, just admit, like, Californians, like you and I, like, I can't believe they went through with Brexit. This yeah. is just a sad day. I'm like, motherfucker, you did not know what Brexit was yesterday. If I asked you what Brexit was, you would think it's a breakfast cereal. And so now you're like, I just can't believe it's just like, okay, can you, can you sit here and explain to me why you are so just distraught that the UK has decided to leave the European Union when you live 5,000 miles away in San Francisco? Exactly. You Please can't. Explain that to me. Yeah. It, it's, it's the, it's the, the addiction to fear or it's the addiction to being offended or it's an addiction to whatever it is that these fucking weird people are addicted to. Absolutely. It's it, and see the thing was back then, people were buying it. People really enjoyed being outraged. Now I think people mm-hmm. people are just fucking tired of being outraged. And they're they're so tired at the point where they just like need to see actual truth and are seeing actual truth. Yeah, these people are outraged about being outraged. <laughs> it, it just it doesn't it it really to the core of my being has never made sense to me that yeah, these, these people are so invested in their beliefs that a simple conversation has that big of an impact on them. Like I, I don't consider myself political um, or at least I try not to be. I have, I have principles, I have yeah. values um, and those may be taken as um, political, but they're not in nature because I just think politics is uh, another means of dividing man, and it and it, it is. and it's been clear these last whatever you know six eight years, um, at least that I've been conscious of it. All I see politics doing is dividing us. It, it, it's it's a, it's a system of controls. It gives mm-hmm. you the illusion of choice. And what's funny is, you know, on on like what you you would think is like the other side of the spectrum. You know? opposite sides that should just hate each other with every last breath. Like, in the tail end of the Trump administration, him and Bernie Sanders were working to get actual COVID relief that was stonewalled by Mitch McConnell and mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. So you you can start to see the candidates who are actually trying to make a difference, like, for the people. And, and I, some people are like, hey, Arthur, you know, Bernie Sanders actually, you know, they have some weird socialist thing for me that I'm not going to read. Um... Bernie was an outsider, and Bernie had a very complete out of left field, like borderline, you know, communist, like socialist methodology of trying to foster the people. Do I agree with it? No. But he was very, very clear what he wanted to do in detail, which is like, the, the, it was like the progressive counterpart to Trump's populism. So then you have the quote unquote tried and true establishment that are really just corporate sellouts. Like they, they've, they've, they've been put in their positions with corporate money to, to keep corporate interests safe and to further corporate interests and corporate lobby. They're the ones stonewalling the people who are trying to actually get relief for the people at the tail end yeah. of the administration. And, and we, should, we should talk about you know, the extreme sides, whatever, right versus left. You put, you put these two extreme people, so a liberal and a whatever, conservative, in a, in a room together. Mm-hmm. 
these same people that would be fighting on Facebook over a fucking Donald Trump post. Yeah, I well, guarantee they have more in common than they think they do on this Facebook post. Oh my god, big time. Right? Big and time. they it, it's not it's not as bad as we are conditioned to believe it is. Dude, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, okay, I grew up, I mean, so I have two immigrant parents, right, who saw some shit. Like, my dad escaped communist Cuba. My mother lived through Peronism in Argentina, lived through the reign of terror. Mm-hmm. So they both know what road not to go down, okay? So mm-hmm. I'm raised like that, but in Oakland, which is super, super lefty, mm-hmm. right? And so that, what that got to do is, like, I had to, I had to have restraint of speech you know i'm not gonna go out and say well i think this and just get absolutely swarmed to death you know <laughs> yeah um so you have to i had to learn how to speak in really indirect efforts and i had to learn to listen and 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 you know plant seeds and that's that's why you hear me constantly talking about plant seeds because it's the method i've had to use and it's a method mm-hmm. that i know works mm-hmm. um but you also just sort of when you eliminate all the controls and you zero in and you just start to have conversations with people as people Mm-hmm. the programming doesn't kick in. And then you start to realize the enemy isn't the people, the enemy is the programming. And then you begin to realize the divide and conquer tactics at hand. Yeah, it's the enemy is the, the religious belief to something that isn't religious. Exactly. It, it, that religious belief is filling the void of religion that's been outlawed. And people don't yeah. really know why it's been outlawed. There you go. Say all wars are caused by religion. Actually, like, uh, just I, I saw a stat, like, like less than one percent of casualties from war on this earth have come from religion. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's come from it's come from fight over dominion, come greed. From, yeah. Greed, exactly. Greed being a big big one, a big 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 factor. Mm-hmm. And, and that was you know to sort of also circle back. Like we're we're also seeing this man between, we're seeing this war between man and woman, like you said. Like and that's that's why you're seeing like hyper feminism. That's why you're seeing like feminism for men in the red pill culture. Like, there, there have been good things about, there's been great red pill literature. I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's helped a lot of people. So guys, I'm not, I'm not knocking anything that's helped you and I'm glad it has helped you. So let's just preface that immediately. But a lot of feminism has, be, a lot of red pill culture, it really has become bitter feminism for men. Yeah. And it's, it, there's no place for that. It's sad. It's weak. And, and if you, if you look at these men that call themselves allies for women, at, at the very core, it's a manipulation. This, you know, whatever, you know, this man, obviously, clearly, right, that he thinks that relating or identifying with, you know, the feminine aspect or the feminine side of things, that may get him in a position of, oh, maybe, you know, that that will get him closer to women than, than him just being a weak bitch would, right? So maybe if I identify with this girl, or this woman and her and her beliefs, maybe I can manipulate her into thinking I'm actually an ally. And then from that, from that, you know, this, the, the nice guy, or I'm, I'm being the, the nice guy and I'm, and I'm identifying with her. So maybe that'll, that'll in turn lead to uh, us sleeping together. Right. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's what it is. These allies, these male allies don't have a connection to women other than their, selling out of themselves to get closer to them absolutely i mean it's like they don't you know they also they, they can't have normal conversations with them. no it's, it's always an angle exactly it's always a manipulation they're always oh yeah so that toxic masculinity what do you you know oh yeah that, <laughs> or or or
or the or the girl will complain to the guy about the you know this the Chad that she's uh that she's fucking right. right. Oh, he's he hasn't called me back, in you know in a week, and we you know we had sex. Oh, don't worry, Mister White Knight, nice guy. He's right there. He'll he'll tell you. You know he'll talk it out with you, yeah. in the hopes that he can maybe wait out that current situation with the Chad and maybe get his uh maybe get his fill at some point down the line. Whereas there's already a man who doesn't give a single fuck about him or the girl. He's just he's taking action and getting what's his. Yeah, for for better or for worse, like you know. Exactly. Yeah, for better or for worse. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's right, but I'm absolutely saying that the weak man, the person that manipulates women into thinking that he's an ally for them, is 100% fucking wrong. Absolutely. It's 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 more underhanded. It's like there can be a like truly toxic man who's taking what he wants. You know, it's it's he's he's all he he can also be playing mind games with a girl by not calling her back and knows exactly what he's doing but he has more strength to him it's like it's like the weak and strong counterpart they can both be toxic you know what i mean so yeah in in doing this this nice guy white knight person he's he's like oh so he's doing the exact opposite of what he wants to as the end goal right he wants to have sex with this girl great but he knows that he doesn't have a good connection with women because one he's a little bitch Mm -hmm. um and doesn't understand the the dynamism or the duality between man and women. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to take a different aspect. I'm going to take a different route to try to reach that same means, uh, right? Meet, reach that same end with a different means. And, <laughs> and it ends up not working anyway because she doesn't, she's just using him as a, fuck, as a rag, right? She's, Pretty much, yeah. He's the, he's the cleanup crew for the, for the, you know, alpha. If you really okay, if you if we really want to break it down into alpha and beta, yeah, beta is the 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 rag for the alpha after he's done with the girl. Yeah, it, what's dude, what's really fucking weird about like a lot of this shit, man. Like, you, you know, for like I I, I I talk about this a lot. I went through a voluntary celibate period before this, and what was really cool about that honestly was me getting to speak to women as people mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i i truly had like no ulterior motives of getting laid so like I, I was like you'll see a lot of nice guys like why aren't you paying attention to me being a super nice guy hey yeah i'm a nice guy <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> fuck dude don't even fucking get me started yeah it's, it's, it's bad but like i was genuinely being nice to like to co-workers or just just to women in general and they like Maybe initially, like, oh, he thinks he's going to get something out of me. And, like, they can eventually tell, like, I literally don't want a goddamn thing. And that makes them want you so much fucking more. Yeah. And see, and see that, was, that was a pitfall. Like, I didn't want – I legitimately didn't want that. So they're like they're – Like, <laughs> like yeah. why don't you want me? What am I – Yeah. And you're like, just leave me alone. <laughs> I, I was coworkers with this really cool chick once upon a time, right? Badass bartender. Badass bartender. And I was her bar back, and then I, was, I, was, I got promoted to bartender. And all the guys wanted to sleep with her yeah. in, in the bar. And I was like the one guy who didn't. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> what one guy was like, so Arthur, you and Crystal, huh? I was like, no, nah, Crystal's the homie, bro. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, nah, like, I'm, like you know, I don't, I don't. <laughs> you know, I literally said, like, you know, I don't fuck. Like, I'm doing the whole, yeah. I'm doing the dad-go-monk thing. And he's just yeah. like, 
I feel like you two be a good couple. And I was like, no, nah, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I like, I really enjoy her company. I like hanging out with her, but like, I'm, I'm not interested in her romantically or, or physically or any of that. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point, like, she would get drunk. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Arthur, let's wrestle. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, so she's so, she's so used to these advancements by men, right? She's so used to this, this effortless, um, Attention. Yeah. Attention. Thank you from these men, you know, and the minute that she doesn't get it. Oh man. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're, you're target number one at that point. And it's just, it's so easy and it's so counterintuitive to these weak men. Like she doesn't want to be saved by you. She doesn't want your attention. It's it's a very rare case where a woman does want to be saved by a certain guy. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen it happen. Actually, do you know what was really interesting? I was watching Ocean's Eleven a couple days ago, and uh, I know it's completely out of left field. But um, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, stop living in a box and go on. <laughs> but I'm also going to spoil it right now. Um, so, you know, Danny Ocean's this thief who gets out of prison. In, uh, in New York, uh, you know, he's somewhere in upstate New York, I think, or Jersey or some shit. I don't know. And uh, he he was he was he just got married to Julia Roberts, this character, and he goes to Vegas. He, he's he's a con man, and she's dating this mogul who owns the Bellagio, the MGM Grand, and some other casino. I don't care what it is. <laughs> and he he starts, you know, he starts to get in back into sort of like frame with her. And he starts to just like sort of dance around the subject, like Tess, how you doing? It's like I. She starts giving him mad shit, but you can tell that she wants him to shape up and like redeem himself. But she's not going to just go back to him Mm-mm. being, go back to him, you know, being just you know someone who isn't going to fully restore himself after the loss of you know getting caught and going to prison and all this and leaving her sort of hanging out to dry and her name being smited. It was really, really, really interesting dynamic. She's dating this casino mogul, and he, him and these other 11, it's 10 other guys, it's called Ocean's Eleven, they wind up robbing these three casinos successfully. And, and she's very unhappy with this casino owner, but he's stable and whatnot. And he eventually gets, he, he has a, he, 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 he gets this little dialogue on, on camera with the, this casino owner who he just robbed, but he doesn't know that he's robbed them. He's sort of alluding to it. And they're filming this conversation, she's watching. And he's like, what if I could get you all the money back? Would you, would, you, would you do it in exchange for Tess? And he says, yes. And so Tess sees him say this. Mm-hmm. And then he says, like, okay, I know a guy when I was living in the joint. He knows any job that happens in the United States. You know, within 72 hours, like, you know a guy. That's, so you didn't steal my money. You just know a guy who might have done this. He's like, what are you talking about? So it, it, it was weird. Like, he, he had just the right amount of controls. He had, like, just mm-hmm. the right amount of tactics. Like, he... If she did want to be saved by him because she truly loved this man, but mm-hmm. he went to prison. And she did want to be saved by him, but she wasn't going to spell that out for him either. So these these cases do exist, and they're rare, and they require they do require true love, which does exist. Guys, guys, don't 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 listen so hard to this red pill. Like, there's no such thing as true love. You just have one itis, bro, and like you got to be dating seven girls at once so you don't have a penis. Like this fucking nonsense, man. Like, um, it's not the year 1200 anymore, guys. Jesus. Um, 
Yeah, like it's there are there are certain cases like this, but if you have no history with a girl, if you haven't been with a girl, if you haven't fallen in love, like don't think that you're gonna be this white knight and come and swoop mm-hmm. and save. Like it's that is not what's happening here. You are sad that you can't get the girl and you think you can tell her better. You know, you what I mean? can you can read all of the the books you want. You can read Rational Male. You can read Way of the Superior Man. You can read all the books on the the intersexual dynamic that is man and woman. But if you don't have the experience or the confidence or the identity within yourself, it's not, it, nothing's going to work. No, no, absolutely not. Like the tact, those will be temporary. Like the, yeah. t- the tactics will work. Will you be able to hold this to, will you be able to live a lie and hold the same woman? No. I mean, are, are you capable of living a lie for the rest of your life? Maybe you are. I don't know, but I would bet not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the sustainability from, an experience with women comes from the experience with women, not from reading books. Yeah, exactly. Just, just with anything in life, like the, you know, you can read all the books you want on whatever it may be, but unless you're applying it to your specific situation, it means nothing. You're just collecting information for what you're not, you don't, you're not a producer. You're a collector at that point. You have to produce from the information that you're taking in. Exactly. Exactly. You, you know, <laughs> that book isn't going to get you the girl in real life. They actually no. need to do the diagonal thing. I, I love studying martial arts theory. Like, I study new tactics and new... I, I study it till kingdom come. Until I apply it in the ring, it doesn't mean a goddamn thing. No, exactly. You can, you, can, you can run through a situation. You can imagine a situation a million times. I guarantee it's going to go completely different than you think every single time. It's just like, it's just like hitting a bag, right? What, what do they say? Everything you think, you know, you think, you know, until you get hit in the mouth. Of course. Right. Absolutely. So that first liver kick will determine whether or not you're down, man. I promise. Yeah, you. absolutely. And that's the best part of life is the experience itself. You have to, Oh, that's my favorite. I, I I can't think of anything else that I look forward to more than being able to experience life. And the experience of women, the experience of masculinity, the experience of a tribe, the experience of a community, the experience just as a whole, the amalgamation of the experience is a wonderful thing. And and it's and it's 100% a choice of the individual on how they perceive it and on how they go about experiencing their life so you can you can continue to collect information and that can be your experience and you can be pissed off and resentful for whatever it is because you don't take action or you can just take that take that experience take, or take that information and, and, and apply it and put it into action and then experience life. Exactly. I don't understand why you want to do it any other way. Honestly. No, fuck. Throw me into the fucking fire. Big time. Big time. I don't care. I don't care what the fuck it is. I don't know. I don't care if I know nothing about it. But I'd rather I'd rather do it and experience it than read about it. 
and, or hear someone else's experience of it. Yeah, you know what? There's no reason you can't do both. Go experience it and read and learn as you go. Yeah, exactly. Or precisely. But if I'm not, if I'm not experiencing it myself, then what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Like, I mean, okay, you're in strength and conditioning. Like, I want to build power. Okay, well, power takes time. So let's say it takes six months. You have a bedrock phase, you have a transitional phase, and you have a phase mm-hmm. towards the end where you're reaping the benefits of plyometrics. Well, first you had to read, then you had to plan, yeah. then you had to wake up every day and do the dadgum thing. You needed yeah. to adjust if anything went wrong. Absolutely. Like you're not you're not like, oh, I know how to build power now, so I'm going to be more powerful. I'm like, no, you're still the same. Like Exactly. It's not black and white. It's, it's so, so dynamic. Everything is so dynamic, and it's not just, I'm going to fill my head full of information, and then, oh, yeah, I'm going to be an expert. No, like you need the to, expertise you need comes from the doing, from the application. Big time. And it comes and it, it, it what it comes from failing. Thinking that you, oh yeah, I read this in a book, applying it and failing. Okay, maybe it doesn't work. Or maybe I applied it incorrectly. Okay, so let's go back to the drawing board. What could I have done better? How can I how can I adapt? that's like I've talked about this before I think some people it's some people might take I always I always give the balance of opposites like this is something I try to push pretty often because you'll we'll we'll say things like this right and then you'll probably like I'm not saying us right now but people hear a lesson like this right and then what they'll do is they'll go face first into something and like get themselves like really fucked over like they did something absolutely stupid like I I didn't tell you to be an idiot like I didn't I, I didn't tell you to have a lack of situational awareness. I didn't tell you to to, to go to, to Yemen and watch what happens. I didn't say that. Like, no. Um, and the other thing, saying like, well, it, let, let's, it, I, I can use this example as a, as a fighter, right? So it's like, you, you, you tell another, you tell another martial artist, like, you just gotta, you just gotta go through the fights, man. You just, you just, just gotta fight. Fighters fight. I'm like, okay, cool. That's great. But then down the line, they don't evolve, and they meet another competitor who has evolved. And that one and competitor A has just re- uh, relied on experience, and competitor mm-hmm. B has relied on experience and fine tuning his game, and research, and watching mm-hmm. film, and learning new techniques, and new strategies that they've come out with themselves. Who do you think is going to be on top? Absolutely, yeah. that's always B. They're they're not mutually exclusive, guys. Read up a storm; it's great. I I, I talk about this so. It's funny. A lot of tropes that I've said about my podcast have come completely out the window of this. We've gone into politics. We've gone directly into masculinity. We've gone directly into sexual dynamics. We've gone directly into sports ball. And now <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. And now we're going to sports ball again. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a died in the wall Niners fan, like for better or for worse. Like I try not to care about sports ball now. But like, and I grew up in Oakland, so, so if anyone, if any from Oakland are hearing that I'm a San Francisco sports fan, get over it, okay? Just, <laughs> just, just get over it. Okay? My first, my first football game was a Niners game. My first baseball game was a Giants game. Plain and simple. Um, but the Niners in the '80s completely changed the game of football. Like you see, all you hear about all these quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, that wouldn't exist without the Niners. That wouldn't exist without Joe Montana and Bill Walsh, really the coach, who took to the chalk, and he was like, "How do we advance the football quicker?" We advance it with the forward pass. What's the problem with the forward pass? Well, typically it has it's it's high risk, high reward, and that's the problem because you're throwing you know, down you're throwing the ball down the field. So there's there's less security to it. There's more security in a run. So like, well, what if we throw shorter, more lateral passes? We advance the football quicker, 
but more fluidly. And so that completely changed the game of football, and that's why they won four Super Bowls in the in the 80s, and that's why you see such a passive game today. But at first, it didn't work. He started with the chalk, and then he got his ass kicked his first two seasons as a coach. Then he adjusted accordingly, and he kept adjusting accordingly. And in the mid-80s, he got his ass kicked, and he adjusted the chalk again and won back in the late 80s. Like, it is both, guys. Like, you do need to use your brain. You do need to strategize. You do need original thought. Original thought holds so much weight. But, but that application is abundantly important. It doesn't mean a goddamn thing. That. So, so here, this is what I got from that. I, I love sports as well. It's the ability to take risk and abandon the security that you feel. That's experience. Absolutely. And that's at the very foundation. That is experience. It's an abandon. It's it's a it's a risk. It's a, it's a risk, right? Whether it's embarrassment, whether it's uh, you know a failure, whether whether it's you know if you're if you're trying to apply that that new uh, pickup technique that you that you learned from your favorite pickup artist, which <laughs> fucking stupid, but um, you know you go you go up to a girl, you try it, and then you get you get a uh, you get denied. Who fucking cares? No. God, when I was a freshman, I asked a junior to homecoming. She said no. I was like, whatever. At least I asked a junior. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and you now you have the experience. I've had... Yeah. I mean... What? Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it, 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 what, what's, what's so funny to me, like, there's... Everything's the double-edged sword. It's so funny, like, me just mentioning that, like, as a freshman in 2008... And I get rejected by a junior and I asked him, I'm like, oh man, blood and rain, you know, it doesn't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's the thing, you are you have security within yourself, who the fuck cares? Exactly, you know, you post a butt photo, you know, some people are saying you're not what I think you are anymore, who the fuck cares? Yeah, your attachment to your expectation of me is not my fucking problem. Absolutely. I don't even show my face, you don't know who I am. Exactly. But, you know... That's and, life. And, and, and that's, you know, some people, some people have like a really big issue with us being anonymous. Like, remember that guy who tagged a bunch of us? Yeah, like, dude, I do. I remember that. <laughs> he was and like, he was I'm, like a, I, I'm not anonymous for any other reason than man is his word and is his work. I don't need to attach my face. Agreed. My face means nothing. I want, I want somebody to look at my page and see my work. Not my face. That's exactly the same reason why I do this. Because yeah. You're seeing this reflect in other areas of society. It's like the masked singer. Before that, it was the voice. They had like their chairs turned around. Mm-hmm. It's just the voice. Like they just want to judge it. Like I want the war. I want my work and the words to stand alone. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't want you to see my face. I'm like, oh, that. You know, you did. Same thing with a girl. Like, oh, she's a pretty face. So I guess she's a good actress. No, actually, guys, Margot Robbie's a terrible actress. Um, I don't. And, I don't need. It's not a necessity for somebody to see my face. However, no. it is a necessity for them to see my work. Exactly. And I don't want. I don't want that to be clouded. What, what's What's the core essence of you? Is it your words and your work, or is it your face? It's your words and your work. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the deeds, right? Act and non-verba, right? Deeds, not words, right? Or, I mean, I, I want to be known for my, for my deeds. I don't, my word is good, but my deeds are the most important. Absolutely. There's no, we, we say that in the Orthodox Church all the time. There's no faith without deeds. 
Exactly. No faith in that piece. Yeah. Um, you can have this amazing relationship with divinity. You can have this amazing relationship with God. It's about practice, but you, you don't help your fellow man. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. It wraps, wraps back around to the, the application, to the experience of life. That's, that's what it is. The experience is the doing. You have to do. You have to take action. Yeah, you know, what's, what's funny is it, it, there's so many wonderful dichotomies throughout this podcast, honestly. Because we were talking about the, your, your, your piece. I keep circling, circling back. I keep circling back. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear that phrase the same anymore. Uh, <laughs> we, we keep, I keep circling back to your piece because we talk about the inner life, you know, bleeding into the really be the external life being a reflection of the inner life. So it's like, but we're also saying it's, it's, it's worthless. It's, but you are your deeds at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like having this inner life, like, yeah, you are this inner life, but if there's a disconnect there and your deeds don't reflect your inner life, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. You need to get in an alignment with yourself. And, and there lies another issue, right? These men, our internal identification is 100% completely different than our external identification, right? So we have our, we have our innate masculine values and we don't represent those in our actions. So what, what happens then? We become resentful, right? Because we're compromising our, our foundational values for acceptance, for conformity, for a validation, or for whatever it may be, right? And that's an issue. And, and that, that's what's so dangerous with this war on free speech, too. They're trying to get, they're trying to get people to compromise themselves. Yeah. This, the, you know, the cancel culture. I mean, that's the, that's the new age witch burning, right? That's, that's the, yeah. or, you know, you, oh, you don't, you don't think with the group. Well, you're, you know, you're fucked. We're going to dox you. We're going to find out where you work. We're going to blah, 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 do this, do that. All because you don't agree or you don't, you don't subscribe to the group narrative. Absolutely. And it is narrative. And this is what I, this is why I say narrative is part of life. Like narrative is life. Mm -hmm. Like to think that narrative is just separate. No, like narrative is powerful. Narrative can be make or break. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny. I get these, when I talk about, you know, being in the Bay Area, I talk about masks and all this and they're like, yeah, man, just don't wear a mask. Everyone, I'm like, motherfucker. Okay. You live in Kentucky. Okay. <laughs> you live in Mississippi. You live in Florida. Okay. Yeah. Um, like I live in I I live in Oakland and work in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm still I'm still the one guy not wearing a mask on Bart. Okay. Which is basically our big big subway. You know. Mm -hmm. um, but I still got to wear a mask at work. Mm -hmm. And I still can't be out loud saying unfat yourself. And what does that make me? Well, I have to detach myself from my bitterness. But before I detach myself, it makes me bitter. And you also have to pick your battles. Of course. Is it worth is it worth losing your job over? No. Is it exactly right? So, as bad as wearing a mask, I you know I I fucking hate wearing masks too. But it, you have to choose your battles. Big time. And, and you know a lot of the people who are out there saying that like they never they never compromise. I sincerely doubt it. Like what's what's. 
I've heard some pretty crafty. I'm not gonna say who, but I heard one guy have a pretty crafty way of not having to wear a mask. Um, uh, basically, <laughs> you're gonna have to fill me in on that after this. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say who. I'll tell you who it is later. But um, he said he told his building that um, wearing a mask gives him PTSD when he had to wear a mask in Iraq, so he can't do it. Mm. I was like, ooh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a really, really good one. But um. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, dude, I'm not gonna go. I, I've known a guy who just like completely said exactly what he thought at a job, and then just got fired in the spot. Like, what the fuck did you think was gonna happen? Yeah, I mean, as, as trust me, as much as I'd love to do that, as much as I'd love to, because with strength and conditioning, I mean, sometimes I'm a babysitter. Unfortunately, as unfortunate as that is, uh, I've been a babysitter with professional athletes. I've been a babysitter with athletes of all levels. And with, something that is nice about strength and conditioning and, and working in this kind of uh, area is I do have a little bit more freedom of speech because they're there for a specific reason. And that reason is to get better. They're not there to have an echo chamber, right? They're there to get better. And if they come to me with excuses on why they don't want to get better, well, I, I have free reign to tell them, you know, you're you're here to get better. And that's that. Or there's the door. Or there's the door, precisely. And, I, and I've had that conversation with athletes before. They come in and whatever, they have a bad attitude with me. And I, I you know, I'll, I'll give them the bed and for the doubt. I'll ask them, hey, what's going on? How's your day going? What's, what's bothering you? And they continue on and I tell them, I say, you have two options. You can figure it the fuck out, or you can leave. And it typically, more often than not, they figure it out. The, the, the thing is, like, he's so counterintuitive. I was like, well, it's too rose. Like, no, I don't want to figure it out. I don't want to leave. Like, so you just want to sit here and be an asshole. That's yeah. Um, That's you know that that's sort of the trouble that I had with with with, um, with personal training to you mm-hmm. that I spoke to you about. Like now, I only train I will only train athletes or people who are just chomping at the bit to get better. Mm-hmm. Like okay, I know I'm not gonna have to be like I told you this. Like all right, you're not losing weight. I know you're here doing the weights because you're here with me. I know you're doing the conditioning sessions because you're here with me. Mm-hmm. And you're swearing up and down that you're doing your diet, and I'm not. You know, I, I can tell when people are lying because I went. Yeah. To, I can because I went to acting school, so I'm fine tuned for that. All right, now the next question: Are you drinking your face off on the weekends? Blank stare. Right. Okay. I, did you did you did you think you were gonna lose weight and drink your face off on the weekends? No. Did, did, didn't see a disconnect there. No. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um. So that, 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 that's why I want to train athletes now, um, predominantly, or I train people of the sphere who are, you know, really trying to get better and plain and simple. And that's been really enjoyable. Totally. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear your background though, in strength and conditioning to get more on a technical side and hear your journey as a, as a coach, were you an athlete before becoming a coach? What made you transition to becoming a coach? Like what was that progression like for you? Yeah. So always an athlete grew up playing ice hockey, football, lacrosse, um, and was surrounded by one particular coach, in well, a strength coach, um, who you know he emphasized the importance of strength and conditioning and nutrition. So, I 
got that from an early age and that became an, an a, a obsession of mine. Um, I started training for real as a senior in high school. Um, I was skinny and I told myself I was tired of being skinny. So I decided to uh, hit the ground running. <laughs> um, went to school, graduated uh, with a degree in nutrition and exercise physiology, went right to work in a private strength and conditioning setting. Um, pretty much right off the bat, I got to work with um, some high-end professional athletes through Maba Sports Academy. Um, I thought that's in Seattle. No, that was in, so I, I came home. I was in Southern California for a year before, prior to moving back, moving to Washington. Yeah, okay. Um, so I was down here working with uh, the NFL Combine Preparation Athletes. Um, so in the, you know, the 2020 draft class, um, I got to work with some pretty, pretty big dudes there. Um, I worked with NHL athletes, NFL athletes, professional lacrosse athletes, professional rugby athletes. So I had a, um, a gamut of experience. Um, and then I also worked as a, a, a strength coach in several private facilities, um, worked as a, a coach for a, a private high school. Um, I did all of this. I was working. I was trying to fill my plate. Um, so I was working two, three, maybe four jobs at a time um, with strength and conditioning. So it's, it's never like a, it's never a full-time gig. No, no, never. Yeah. So I was working whatever, 12, 12, maybe 14 hour days. And that was, that was what I did. Um, and that's how I gathered the experience I got. Um, moving to Washington, I moved back up to Washington. I went back into clinical, worked at a physical therapy clinic. So I've, I've gathered in the year and a half, two years that I've been out of school, I've gathered um, more experience than most people my age. Most people, most strength and conditioning coaches do throughout their career, um, which is cool. And I appreciate it. And I, and I definitely use it um, in my favor with, with the athletes that I do coach. And the experience that I have has definitely helped to shape my philosophy um, because it's so dynamic and multifaceted. It's not like I've specialized in one thing over the period of however long, right? It's I've been in every situation possible. Um, so my, my, my approach is very dynamic and very adaptable. And I, uh, and it's been, it's been cool. That's amazing. I mean, I, uh, people sometimes will really underestimate a sprint in life. They'll sort of track the long-term planning. I'll get into this point by this point, instead of going face first, like you're saying, mm-hmm. and filling up, and working that many hours to getting to a certain point, you, you can sprint your way to, to mastery. It is, it is it is possible absolutely people people don't like hearing that though because a lot of people don't want part willing to do that which is which is weird because we live in such an instant gratification society that <laughs> yeah uh, you know if you really want instant gratification you can do it you just have to fucking work your ass off yeah. oh I don't know I don't know about that 
maybe maybe the long term. Maybe the long term is better. You know, so. Yeah, it's 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 a paradox. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. You want instant gratification, but oh wait, that t- wait that takes work. I have to work my ass off for that. I have to lose sleep for that. Ah, uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's not for me. Maybe success isn't for me. Yeah, maybe I'm content with just a couple happy hours a week. And, uh, exactly. That's yeah. been another thing for me is delayed gratification. Um, growing up, I didn't have that. I asked and I received. So un- taking things that challenge me has been so liberating because I, I have to work. And I want to work. I don't want to just have the solutions there. I want to have to find the answer. It's like, you know, my, my impulse tells me, oh, you have all the comfort you need. But like, you know, deep down, my intuition tells me that, you know, you can take, you can make a, dec- a decisive choice right now to be weak or to do something that's going to make you stronger. And it's always, my answer will always be, I need to be stronger. That, that, that's the important road. Like I always, I always tell people that when I when it's not really about the mora- like a morality standpoint, like what's not the right choice, right? Or that right choice can also be in terms of alignment. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure what the right choice is in terms of alignment. Well, it's going to be one or one of the other or a combination of the two, whether it's the strong choice or the smart choice. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I have. <laughs> I have done the strong choice when that was not the smart choice. Like when it's like the situation has not called for the strong choice. <laughs> no, I just want to make it harder. Exactly. I need it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you can accept that. Oh, right? you can you can sit back and say, ah, fuck, maybe that wasn't the right decision, but goddamn, I'm stronger because of it. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, I remember um, my dude. Okay, I would get off the bar. Three in the morning, right? Maybe three fifteen. I'd go to mm-hmm. a I'd go to a Denny's with some of the guys. This Denny's was so disorganized; they'd forget to give us utensils. So I'm having two everyday value slams with wheat pancakes. I'm like scarfing them down with my hands and mm-hmm. over hard eggs and bacon. I'm like, okay, see you guys. I'm gonna go to the gym, and I'm in the gym from four to six in the morning, and I go to sleep at like six thirty, and I wake up at twelve thirty, and then I'm pretty much doing training until eight. There, I look back now, I'm like, dude, there are so many smarter ways I could play <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Sure there are, right? There, there's always a, a smarter way to do things, but, you know, that's okay. With the knowledge, and I, I was so much mentally tougher for that, though. It's like I just exactly. exhausted from, from bartending high-volume craft cocktails for seven hours. And I'll be like, all right, cool. It's time to go to the gym because I don't want to go, and therefore, yeah, that means it's time to go. You know, exactly for for sure. And that's another issue is people just over rationalize and overthink. It's like you have a goal, stop fucking thinking about it and just go do it. Exactly. Just go take the action that's necessary to get you closer to where you want to be. And if you need to be more precise, like after that initial action, then be more fucking precise. Yeah. You, like, just, 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 just get, it's really that simple. Like, you it don't really, it really is that simple. And it's all up to you. It's your choice. Absolutely. You want more time in the day? Get off your phone. 
I don't have time. Bullshit. Look at your look at the time you spend on your phone. I'm a, I'm I I do this. I spend too way too much time on my phone. But I'm not sitting there complaining that I don't have enough time in the day because I know that I could really shape it up if I had to, if I needed to, if I really wanted to make that a necessity. Big time. I looked at my, I looked at my screen time seven hours. Really, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in that you have those standards for yourself, and and you look at it, you're like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, wh- what's going on? Why? Why? Why do you have that much time? <laughs> you know what? I don't have that much time. I don't have that much time to waste. And here I am. Exactly. Right. Time. Exactly. It, yeah. it, I have, you know, I'm writing a novel. I just launched Blood and Rain book, so I'm, I have to write, you know, the next four chapters of a of a novella for a Greek hero that I had to craft because out of after doing an Instagram poll, and <laughs> I realized that too. I was like, I was doing podcasts like the week that I I, I have podcasts scheduled until or like just planned out until July seventh, I think. Wow. Yeah, because uh, I, I, at the beginning of the year, I was like, all right, fighting in the tournament. I'm trying to fight 10 times this year, which is a massive undertaking. That's probably not going to happen. I'm probably going to be going to be six to eight. Uh, I'm still on the tail end of a lower back injury, so I still you have that. You said 10, it's going to be 10. You no, know, it's going to be 12 now. Just cause there you go. <laughs> there it is. I'm going to fight 12 times this year, whether it be a smoker in some weird basement in Richmond, California. and <laughs> We won't get into that. Um <laughs> Or it's a tournament in New York City. Fuck it. Um, and I have a lower back injury that I'm still I'm still seeing some leftover shit from. Um, and, and okay, I, we, you didn't you and I talked about tangents, but there's a lot of <laughs> there, there's a lot of tangents at hand. But um, for those of you who are hearing, you know, Flo Modus and I talk about training. I didn't get a lower back injury by training. I got a lower back injury by doing stupid shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> When I was, you know, before my lower back injury, I was like my my average pull for deadlifting was like in the five fifty range. So when we get kegs at the bar and I'm doing my back end stuff, I carry them up and down stairs because I wanted to be a meathead and I enjoyed it. And so like that that was a really fun part of my day. I really enjoyed it. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and then when I decided I was gonna move to New York City, and I I had spent all my money on a previous trip to England. I um I got a second job and I was working 90 hours per week for eight weeks to save up you know a good eight thousand dollars to move to New York City, so I wasn't training very much, and so my deadlift got weaker and my posterior chain got weaker, so then I get to New York City, and I'm working at an Irish pub near Wall Street and then I'm working at a craft cocktail bar near Wall Street, and they say, hey, we got kegs. I'm like, oh hey, I got this, and no, I did not have it because I had not been lifting. <laughs> So my lower back has a little click while carrying a 250-pound keg upstairs. And I've been recovering from that injury since. I could not afford a physical therapist, so I've had to wing it accordingly. I don't have a background in physical therapy. My background came from strength and conditioning, it just mainly for fighters, you know, not even necessarily for field sport athletes. That came later. So where was I going with that? Um, <laughs> um, strength and conditioning, whatnot. But yeah, like this, this, this year, oh, podcast schedule. Yeah, there we go. Like I figured out that that was a massive tangent. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I scheduled like 
podcast in advance till July 7th. And then I realized I was still doing podcasts like the week I had them planned. I was like, dude, I'm winging it. Like I'm, I'm scrambling for edits right now and I'm putting them out late. So I was like, really, if I spent less time on my phone and I recorded more podcasts in advance and I finished writing the rough draft of the book and I focus more on some of the combinations and training and, and fighting systems. Like I posted something about Rob Kamen's system of counters and systems of resets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I want to apply to my game. That's not showing up in my game because I'm not, I'm not spending enough time applying it on my own. I'm, that's not going to happen in a, in a sparring session. That's not going to happen in a bad class. It's going to happen on my own, in my garage. Mm-hmm. So me, I, I could say, man, I don't have the time. Like, you know, I could spend a little less time sending memes to, to Flow Moto, sending me a libertate and being husband pod and all these guys within our sphere. I could spend a little less time doing that, a little more time on the grid, you know? Yep. And it is that simple. It's always that simple. It really is. It is always that simple. It's a life is a game of choices. You either do or you don't. And that's your responsibility. Absolutely. And and circling back to alignment and to fate and to men who were, you know, like, like you said, you, you, when you, whenever you listen to your intuition without second guessing, without trying to rationalize, or trying to apply a different set of controls to this intuition. Mm-hmm. It, it, it never did it. It always served you. It always oh. served you. And I think that's the relationship between fate and choice. Like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure most people who went to high school listening in the United States had the literary unit for English class about existentialism of fate versus choice. And it's both. Like, it's really one doesn't hold dominion over the other. Mm-mm. It is very much a push-pull thing. You can either listen... Or you cannot listen. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll still come back full circle and you go back to the original choice once again. Okay, well, if you're going to listen this time, then there's going to be a logos involved. You're going to have a higher self involved because you listened. So you're, 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 your full circle journey back to center will eventually have your consciousness raising higher and higher. Yeah. Right? Yourself raising higher and higher and higher. And that sounds complicated, but it actually is, as we were saying, that simple. Yeah. You have to go through the doors that you don't want to go through. There's, yeah, there's, you know, you have a hundred different doors that you go through every day, right? And there's always, there's always one that you're like, eh, maybe I don't go through that one today, right? You start to lose, you start to lose those doors. So, you know, the hundred doors that you went through today, maybe 85 in a couple of days, 70, 60, 50, right? And that one door you don't want to go through is still there. And it will continue to be there until you go through it and do what's necessary absolutely absolutely that yeah that 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 door you want to go through is the first door you gotta go through exactly that door you don't want to go through has already explained its importance to you because you don't want to go through it is why you should go through it that's all it should take Absolutely. I, I, I came across a coach here that's the same thing. He's a, yeah, he moved back to France, but he's a French coach. He's like, Arthur, your back, your kicks are fantastic. Your elbows are fantastic. You know, your knees are fucking brutal, but your boxing is terrible. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I need you to box five days a week. I'm like, I don't want to fucking go to boxing. Yeah. I don't, I don't hate being punched in the face. I hate being blinded. I hate being limited to my hands. Like, this is terrible. 
So when people come to me like, Arthur, you want to drill inside boxing? No, I don't want to fucking drill inside boxing. So yes, I want to drill inside yeah, boxing. Exactly. I don't want to, so I have to. Exactly. And so that initial dread, I will, within the gap of a split second, I'm going to make it into true joy because it's going to be yeah. me, exactly. doing, me getting better. My, my dad has this really hilarious phrase. Like, Arthur, I love the taste of kale pectate. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And for those of you who don't know, kale pectate is like it's over-the-counter medicine for relief of like diarrhea or like some, some digestion problems. But it tastes terrible. It tastes like cha. And he's like, Arthur, I love the taste of kale pectate. I'm like, Pops, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's just like, he's like, watch your language. It's the taste. <laughs> just has the dad instinct out of the way first. Like, watch yeah. It's the taste of relief. And that cracked me up. Like, it took me a second to think about it. I think I was only like 10 when I, when I, when I said this to him. And um, he's like, it's the taste of relief. And I was like, well, what does this have to do with me? And he's like, Arthur, I know you avoid math. Ripping up maths again. I know you avoid math. So you're going to do math as your first mm-hmm. homework every night. And then you're going to have that taste of relief because you can do the assignments you actually want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's precisely, precisely what it is. So with that, in your, so you, you move, so you, I know you were in the Pacific Northwest. I actually announced on this podcast that the first in-person podcast is going to be the Flow Notice. Podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we we can still do that. We're not too far apart. No, we're not. No, that, that's definitely that's definitely going to happen too. No, yeah, no. that's doable for sure, for sure, and especially so. So to recap, guys. So Flow Modus was in the Pacific Northwest. He was in Seattle. Yep. And now he's back to his native Orange County. And we originally, I was originally planning to take a trip to Seattle to check it out, see if I wanted to move there. It's on my short list because I am mm-hmm. getting out of the Bay Area. It is getting nuts out of here. Um, and we were originally going to do an in-person podcast. We moved back to Orange County, but um, I'm going to be taking a trip actually to Seattle, Phoenix, and San Diego, and you know maybe get up to Orange County. So. Gonna say, start saying hi to some people and meet some people. <laughs> yeah. So it should be, it should be good, man. But with, so with, oh, go ahead. No, go. I was, I was agreeing with you. Go. Uh, so with, so you're back in Orange County. Um, I know you got, I know you got some next steps planned. So do you have, do you want to speak on some of those next steps and some of the things you're marinating on, and maybe the first door within each of them that you need to go through that you might want to avoid? Yeah. Number one is uh, doing a podcast. Yes, thank God. <laughs> yeah, that's been my biggest point of resistance um, challenge is I say I'm going to do a podcast and I haven't followed through on it yet. I have everything set up. I just haven't followed through because I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really know why. Um, that maybe it's just a resistance to challenge. Maybe it's letting me letting my uh, comfort and weakness get in the way. You know, no, that's what it is. I'm letting my comfort and weakness get in the way. So, podcast is number one. Um, I'm looking forward to it, man. It has been for a while now. Yeah, I, I also, regardless of the, uh, of the the nerves and the you know whatever else is surrounding that, I'm also looking forward to it as well because I love having these conversations and I love meeting new people and listening and experiencing. So, um, that's going to be a good one. I'm, I'm very excited for that. Um, 
hit 10,000 followers, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, I took a little time off of content creation, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I don't know what it was. I just felt a little calling to take some time off and I did and I'm back and I feel good and I'm ready to expand and I'm ready to progress and I'm ready to take those next steps. So podcast, 10,000 followers in-person podcast with you. Yeah, man, let's do it. Man. Looking yeah. forward to it. I'm, I'm in. Yeah, that's been looking forward to that. And it sounds like, you, it sounds like you're staying put in SoCal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, until further notice, um, I am working with, um, a fighter out of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, so I'll be back and forth between Arizona and uh, Southern California. Sweet. Well, yeah. If I don't move to Seattle, I'm going to be seeing, I'm going to be seeing you whether I move to Phoenix and I, I will Spencer him and I, he's, he's in Phoenix now. Uh, right yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's like, uh, <laughs> I, I told him my shortlist is like Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind living in Phoenix either. So maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll make a little solar combine out there. I mean, that certainly <laughs> is the place to have a solar combine. That it truly is. It truly. It is. You know, Seattle's probably the perfect place for the blood and rain sort of. Yeah. I don't know seminar if you want to call it, but um, the solar the solar conference would certainly be in a place like Phoenix. Uh, I agree. I agree. Awesome, man. So how can how can people find you before we go? Ah, Flow Modus on Instagram, F-L-O-W-M-O-D-U-S, and that is it for the time being. Um, all of my links are in my bio on my Instagram, so if you do want to support me, um, I do create content on lifestyle optimization and things of the like, so uh, you can go through uh, my link in my bio and support me through that. Uh, otherwise, uh, stay tuned for the podcast. Awesome. And uh, I just – so – and a little update on Blood and Rain books, guys. Um, I'm cataloging a lot of the content right now. Uh, it's going to be a lot of people want a Gumroad, a lot of people want a Patreon. Um, so we are going to do both. And there eventually will be a Blood and Rain books website. I'm working on a logo. I'm using the same artist from uh, amazing artist Skinless Frank. He's out of England. And um, yeah, so with that, we also have the guest pieces. And uh, brother, I'd love to have you uh, write a guest piece with me. Um, absolutely collaborative piece maybe on training maybe on masculinity i feel like there's like a bunch of things that you and i could write about together oh yeah. awesome um so yeah uh, look look uh, look out for that guys i'm going to be speaking with them about that after and um guys i this 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 podcast has certainly been one gigantic hot take that has flowed really really well honestly uh flow bonus there you go it's all circle circle all all cyclical um <laughs> But I, folks, I really hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, this is more, typically more controversial than I want to get, but I, I enjoyed myself. It sounds like Flamotus enjoyed himself. I hope. Yep. And, I absolutely uh, did. Oh, I'm glad to hear it, brother. Seriously. Thanks uh, for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a, the, the pleasure's been all mine. The honor's been all mine. I, I say that every time with all my guests, and I, I, I mean it. Um, that, because, I, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed by my guests, literally. That's, that's not... It's not like a Oscar accepted speech. Like I'm always amazed. Like, no, like legitimately, I'm always amazed by my guests, and it's awesome. It's a privilege. Well, good. So, folks, uh, take keep an eye out for Flow Modus's podcast. Keep an eye out on Blood and Rain books for our collaborative piece. And until next time, good night and good storms. Thank you. <laughs>